that's your posture today. I said, is that your posture today? All I want is you. I love that song. There's a part of it in the, in the video, if you go watch it, that they get into spontaneous worship. And they just have this refrain. They just say, take it all away. Take it all away till all that's left is you. There's so many things that cloud our life today, that cloud our minds, that cloud uh, our perceptions. But when you put your eyes on Jesus, <laughs> take it all away. Hallelujah. That's all that left is you. What would your life look like if all that was left was the one who saved you, the one who raised you, the one who redeemed you, the one who restored you, the one who holds you, the one who knows you, the whole, the one, the one who leads you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's all that's left. That's all you really need. My God, I need to preach. Let's go in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you give us yourself. That when we have you, that's all we really need. And so I just pray, Father God, today that you would correct our posture. That you would help us to see that you are the greatest thing the most beautiful thing that our eyes have ever laid eyes on. <laughs> Change our hearts today, oh God, for your glory, for your purpose. And let us go out from here today as people set on fire, on course, on purpose for your glory and your glory alone. Now I pray, Father God, that I might decrease as I have decreased, that you might continue to increase in me. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the gift that you've placed on my life. I pray that you use me, that you manifest yourself through me however you choose. And everybody in agreement with that prayer said amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, praise team. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. I want to read these words in your hearing. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I had a question for you this morning. What, what is your heart's posture, really? 
to this person of Jesus? Do you like them? Do you hate them? Do you love them? Do you simply not understand them? In our text today, this morning, Jesus engages Peter, a once prideful, now humbled apostle, on this very posture of his question of his love. We will discover today that words of life don't just come in statements. Sometimes they come in ways that surprise us, but ultimately they restore both the posture and the purpose that we need to follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the Apostle Paul says that now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these, Bob, he says, is love. The Apostle Paul describes three things that many consider to be the pillars, the foundations of Christian belief, our faith in him, our hope towards him, and our love of him. The Apostle John realizes this as well. Throughout his writings, he constantly points us towards the hope of the resurrection, faith in Jesus because of the signs and the miracles that he's performed, but also our love of him based off of the love that he first showed us. In John 20, 21, uh, we see him doing this. After the resurrection, Jesus decides to make three appearances to three specific individuals. He came to these three individuals to remind them of the faith and the hope and the love that our belief is rooted in. And he appears to Mary first in chapter 20, and he reminds her of the hope she should have towards him. Jesus told Mary not to cling to him because he had not yet ascended to his father. See, Jesus needed to go up to heaven to sit on the mercy seat where he will make propitiation or payment for the sins of ours in perpetuity. Last week, Pastor Bob said that Mary was holding on to too little. And I think we hold on to too little as well when we have our hope in the God who died rather than the one who lives forevermore. And see, there's our hope towards him, but there's also our faith in him. You see, the second time Jesus appears, he appears to this guy named Doubting Thomas. And he appears to Doubting Thomas to remind Thomas of his faith that he should have in him. You see, Thomas did not believe that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. He told the disciples that unless I can see the nail prints in his hands, unless I can touch the wound in his side, I'm just not going to believe. And Pastor Corey reminded us that Jesus can handle our doubts. He'll even come through a closed door to give you a touch that turns your disbelief into belief. You see, because Thomas believed because he had seen, but blessed are those who have not yet seen yet still believe. Well, that would preach all by itself, but he doesn't stop there. He, was, he doesn't stop there. He moves on to the apostle called Peter, and the apostle whom Jesus loves says that he appears a third time. And this special encounter that he has with Peter is to help remind Peter of that the fact that his faith is not just rooted in his belief in him. It's not just rooted in our hope towards him, but it's rooted and grounded of our love of him. Well, there's something significant I see there about the number three. There's three appearances, three individuals, three pillars, three questions, and three responses that Jesus has that serves as words of life that restore the posture and the purpose we need to follow Jesus. Well, I guess you know what I'm preaching about today. 
want to talk to you today from the title, Restored by Words of Life. Restored by Words of Life. Well, in the 26th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says these three words. I'm going to say this for any of you who have not read your Bible at all. Like you have, you've been missing all three weeks that we've gone through uh, the resurrection. and You know nothing about this guy named Peter. I just want to lay some context, just some general foundation, uh, that on the 26th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says these words to his disciples. You will all fall away from me this night. And he says that you're going to all fall away because of me. He says, because of me, you won't fall away. He he even goes a step further, and he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse number 7, and he says, listen, I'm telling y'all, it's written. It is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. But here comes Peter. Good old Peter, my boy. Peter says, listen, though all these jokers fall away, I ain't going nowhere, man. I'm going to be with you to the end. Uh, The other gospel writers say that he even goes as far as to say that I'm willing to go to prison and death if I have to, but I will not fall away. In essence, Peter was saying, listen, man, I'm your road dog. I'm here to the end. I'm your ride or die. Listen, I'm with you to the very end. I will not leave. I got your back no matter what comes, whether hell and I mean the place or high water and I mean a flood, no matter what it is, I got you. See, but the reality is that during dinner, Jesus says something else to his disciples. He told them all that one of you tonight is going to betray me. And they have been having conversations back and forth about who it was going to be. And I think Peter took this opportunity to say, look, look, I don't know about the rest of these jokers, but it ain't me. I'm not the one that's going to betray you. I'm going to be with you to the very end. They may be insecure in their faith in you. They may be insecure in their hope towards you. But listen, I got real love. Like Mary J. Blige, I know you're searching for it. I got real love. This posture that Peter has requires his words, it requires words of life, essentially, to restore it because he's puffed up. And so what Jesus does, because he's a good God, he's a good father, he obliges Peter and he says, okay, Peter, listen to me. It's not, the sun night ain't going to come up before you deny me three times. Three times before the cock crows, you're going to die now. Now consider this scene, if you would. I want to speak to your holy imagination for a second. Consider this scene. Jesus has just been arrested. They're carrying him off. All the disciples are scattered. They're running around. Peter just cut somebody's ear off. Jesus then healed it. He tell, like, hold off, Peter. Slow your roll. Peter, like, look, I ain't denying you, man. I'm not, I'm not going nowhere. And, and, and here is Peter, the disciple, following behind Jesus as they get him to the courtyard of the high priest. He gets himself around the fire. He's warming himself, and he's watching Jesus. And somebody notices Peter. Don't matter that Peter got his face mask up, you know, because, you know, whatever. He got his hood on, he incognito. And he says, no, you look familiar. I can see your eyes. You look like somebody, uh, you look like somebody that we know. I'm sorry, give me a second. I might need another. I think I'm good. 
But, but, but he says, I think you look like somebody I know. And, and, and Peter's like, no, nah, man, you don't know me. I, 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 don't, I don't know this guy that y'all are talking about. I don't know this Jesus. And they asked him a second time, you, you Peter, you was the one that was rolling with him. He's like, no, 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 that's not me. That's not me. I don't know this Jesus. He started cursing. He started cursing himself. So I'm talking about, I swear to God, it's not, it's not the truth. And then the next time, Peter denies Jesus the third time. And listen to what Luke says in Luke chapter 22, verse 61 through 62. And the Lord looked at Peter. This is right after the third denial. And he says, he remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And watch this. And he, meaning Peter, went out and wept bitterly. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever, I think I'm going to need another mic. I, I, don't, I, don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you've been You've been talking about somebody behind their back, and, and, and all of a sudden, they show up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They show up, and, and you're like, uh, my bad. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. Maybe, maybe it was with one of your kids. If you got, if you're a parent, your kids was talking about something they shouldn't, and you walked in a room, and all of a sudden, they see, you see them. Your eyes meet. This is where Peter is. This is where we are today in our text. The last time that Peter had locked eyes with Jesus, he was denying him. He heard that Jesus had risen. He ran to the tomb but didn't see him. He came back to meet the disciples, but everybody was surrounding him. And then when he finally came back the second time, Jesus wanted to talk to Thomas, not to Peter. But now it's Peter's turn. And, and, and so Peter is here with Jesus, locking eyes with Jesus, seeing his reflection. And first thing I want to show you here is that Peter, or that what, what happens here, is that Peter's posture is restored for following Jesus. And we see it here right here in John chapter 21, 13. Uh, look at it with me, if you will. He says, when they had finished breakfast, and you know what, I'm going to stop right there because this is a point that you probably need to understand. But before you confront somebody, it's probably a good idea to feed them. I'm just saying. If you're going to give somebody some bad news, give them something to eat first. Soften the blow, right? And Jesus feeds Peter a toasted fish sandwich right before sandwiching him between his failed posture and frustrated purpose. Verse 9 uh, of, of this chapter tells us that Jesus cooked this meal over a charcoal fire. And, and I, I got any grill masters in the house? Anybody who, who love to cook on the grill? I'm a gas man. I look, I'm a gas grill man, so don't, don't judge me. But, but what I understand from people who love charcoal, they tell you that charcoal has a distinct smell, aroma, and flavor that it adds to the meal. Uh, one thing that you know about charcoal that I've discovered is that charcoal secretes this oil in the smoke that actually attaches itself to your fabric. So if you are cooking with charcoal, you might smell the smell of charcoal on your clothes for months, maybe even more. Peter is now by a charcoal fire again. And this would have brought all types of memories in his mind about the last time that he was denying Jesus. 
This little detail would have reminded him of his posture of love towards the Lord. And so the last time he was there, he was cursing God and himself. So Jesus, so just finishing breakfast with Jesus would have been a reminder of his failure. But, but see, th this is what I want to help you understand because Jesus is not actually shaming Peter. I don't want you to think that. I don't think that Jesus is creating this situation so he can shame Peter into feeling like guilty about something. And, and, and listen, Peter isn't even himself feeling shame. Peter is feeling something else that the Bible calls godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Why, 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 do, I, why do I know? Why do I say thank you, Bob? Why, why do I say that? You see, because shame causes us to hide and move away from Jesus. See, when you're shamed about something, you don't want to pray. I got anybody that say amen. When, when you're ashamed of something, you don't want to read your Bible because you don't want to know what God actually says about the situation. You want to go somewhere else to get it. Shame causes us to move away from Jesus. But watch this. Godly sorrow causes us to turn and move towards him. Even jumping inside of a water and swimming all the way to shore like Peter did in verse number seven when he heard that it was Jesus telling him to cast their nets on the other side. All these reminders, reminders, reminders of what his life was like before Jesus in order for him to remind him of what his life should be like with Jesus. Even hearing the name Simon, son of John, was a reminder. In John chapter 1, the first time Jesus called Peter, he called him Simon, son of John, and then said, I'm going to call you from now on Peter. All these reminders, reminders of what it was like to not be with the Lord. And see, sometimes we want to get mad at the people who bring us conviction. Do I got a witness? Somebody correct you. I, I know you want to get upset. You want to get mad talking about you ain't loving me. You ain't showing me support. You ain't doing this, that, and the other. Listen, what you should be doing is asking yourself, do I have the right posture towards Jesus in this conviction? And instead of causing you shame and you moving away, let it lead you to repentance so you can draw closer to the one who loves you. So Jesus can take his finger off the problem and put his arms around it as you get closer to him. So I ask you, what, what today does Jesus have his finger on in your life? Where is Jesus' finger on the problem, the situation that you are facing, that you are refusing to bring before him, that you are moving away instead of jumping in the water and swimming towards the Lord? This, this thing leads us to a principle that I want to share with you is that words of life will restore the posture and the purpose we have to follow Jesus. Why? Because they bring us to godly sorrow instead of shame. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Jesus asks Peter two times, do you love me? And two times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yet I want to point out something that's not exactly clear from our English translations. Using basic Bible study tools, any basic Bible study tool, you'll find that Jesus uses the word agapeo, but Peter uses the word phileo. 
Now, you've heard the word agape or agapeo at different times. You hear it said as God's love, divine love, unconditional, sacrificial. Um, but I don't know about you, but every time I hear something like divine love, I think about something that's out of my reach. If I'll be honest, I'm thinking about something that's unachievable. There's no way I can love like God loves. I wouldn't have loved me. I wouldn't have forgiven me, but, but God does. And so that's, there's no way I can really love like he loves, at least in my mind, when I hear this idea of some type of divine type of love. But I don't think God wanted us to think of his love in that way. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said in Mark chapter 12, when he gave us the Shema, that we ought to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. This type of love requires our feelings, our intentions, our habits, right? Uh, and it requires all of us. And to me, that seems very, very human. So let me give you the definition uh, that, that, that I would came to understand as I think about this word agapeo. Agapeo love is a love that involves your thinking and feelings, right? But, but when you think about it, it can be described as a love based on esteem. Esteem for someone, socially or morally. It's grounded in your moral convictions, but displayed in your social behavior. It means you honor, you respect, you reverence, you sacrifice, you give full and total commitment. It's a love that is both principled and deliberate. That's what I'm saying. It's principled and it's deliberate. When you think about your principles, your principles are rooted in your worldview, right? You, you have certain principles that you adhere to, certain things that you're just saying, look, no matter what, this is, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is what I believe. Those principles are rooted in your worldview. The problem that we have sometimes is that we get our principles not from a biblical worldview, but from a worldly worldview. Listen, there are five things that make up society. There is the way that your parents raised you. There is the media to which you receive, the books you've learned, the knowledge you get from your education. There is uh, ultimately the religion that you have. And then there's your peers. And whenever you get around your peers, they got a whole nother set of how they look at those four things. But see, when your worldview is based biblically, you can understand and you can subscribe to the type of love that God actually means, a love that's principled. And in our behavior, we display it. Phileo, on the other hand, is just based on emotion. It's not bad. It's good. But it's circumstantial. You know, if, if, if the things, the conditions in my life and in your life no longer match what I think, I can choose to no longer love you. It's circumstantial. But see, see, based on Peter's response, uh, God is trying to move Peter from just agape, from just his phileo love to his agapeo love. In verse 15, Jesus asked Peter, do you agapeo me more than these? There he is, digging in Peter's side again. Because the last time Peter said he did something more than the disciples, he was denying Jesus. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Peter, the one who, who, who got rebuked, the one who had trouble forgiving, the one who was prideful, the one who thought he knew it all, who had denied Jesus three times. 
When Peter got honest with Jesus, though, this time, and says, no, Jesus, I, yeah, Jesus, I, I phileo you, Jesus does something that's amazing. He, he, because Peter got honest, he restored his posture and purpose to follow him because, they, because he became honest with who he really was. This, this, is, this is what happens when your posture is restored. You can become honest with who you really are in the face of Jesus. And because this happened, Jesus decides now to restore Peter's purpose. Yes, Peter. This same Peter is reinstated and restored, and he's moved towards Jesus in a posture of repentance and now found a newfound purpose in following him. All I'm trying to tell you, beloved, is that because Peter fixed his posture and he found a purpose in leading God's people, he's now able to do what Jesus asked him to do in feeding his sheep. Listen, you can't feed God's people without love. I'm going to tell you from, from, from experience, you cannot feed God's people without loving them. Because God's people get on your last nerve. Your last one. If you had one more left, it was your last one. God's people can get on your last nerve. I know you know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about. You, you cannot do that without love. See, see, this purpose in light of Peter's denial is actually breathtaking uh, because it's a special duty and responsibility to have the responsibility to teach young believers how to know Jesus. And it's even a greater responsibility to help more settled believers learn to actually do what he says. One of the things I want to read to you is uh, from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It describes what actually happened in the text this way. Listen to it. It's amazing. Our Lord was on the point of leaving the world, and he left its future, the future of the sheep he loved so well and had spent his all upon, and the keeping of Peter and the rest. And watch this. The one security, the one security he demanded of them was the confession of love for himself. He did not draw up a creed or a series of articles binding to this and that duty, to special methods of governing the church or to special truths they were to teach it. He did not summon them into the house of Peter or Zebedee and bid them affix their signatures or marks to such a document. He rested the whole future of the work he had begun at such a cost of their love for him. He had restored their hope towards them. He had restored their faith in him. But now he's trying to solidify it and restore their love of him. The late evangelist John Roy Vaughan during the Second Great Awakening says these words when speaking of this passage and the evidence of Jesus' love and trust for Peter. He says, actions must always be the heart's language. So be suspicious of the reality of any feeling which has never gone out in an action. Jesus proves his love for the disciples in saying, here, feed my sheep. Let me give you the thing that I came here to restore. 
Let me give you the thing that I'm responsible for. Take and feed my sheep. Something I want you to remember is that when you have the right love posture, Jesus can entrust you with a purpose. Do I got any believers in here? That when you have the right love posture, Jesus can entrust you with a purpose. I'm talking to somebody today who's made some mistakes. Somebody who's gone the wrong direction. Somebody who's too young to know everything, too old to do anything, but you realize that if you get your posture together, Jesus can call you again. It don't matter that you've made a mistake. It doesn't matter that you missed the call. Jesus will call you a second time. He'll call you a third time. You just need to correct your love posture because your love posture determines your purpose potential. I'm preaching better than you shouting. Do you want to accomplish something great for God? Then fix your love posture in humility. Do you want to accomplish something great for God? Then fix your love posture in transparency. Transparency, Because when you posture yourself in the memory of what Jesus has delivered you from and refuse to turn to your old name, old practices, old way of thinking, and old way of doing things, he will restore your posture and give you a purpose to follow him. You see, the, second t the first time uh, that, that Jesus uh, asked him uh, to, to, to go ahead and, and, and restore his purpose, the first time he asked him a question, he restores his actual posture. The second time, he restores his purpose. But there's a third time. Somebody say a third time. I'm telling you, there's something significant about the third time. There's something significant about the number three. When you're trying to get something out of your children, I'm talking to my parents, you say, you ask them once, you ask them twice, and you say, I'm going to ask you one more time. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask you one more time. I'm giving you a chance. One more time. Jesus said to, to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Praise team, you can come. See, the most obvious basic understanding of this text is that the third time is yet again a reminder of the three denials of Jesus. You see, this is the basis of what Jesus is trying to help Peter see. Yet Peter is grieved this time. He's grieved this time. Jesus is saying, well, look, you don't agape me, but do you even really phileo me? Because see, here in this last verse, Jesus shifts the words, and he doesn't ask Peter, do you agape me? He says, Peter, do you phileo me? He's asking Jesus, he's asking Peter, do you really even phileo me, Peter? The reality, the reality, beloved, is that there's nothing actually wrong with brotherly love. I want you to understand that. There is nothing wrong with brotherly love. But when you're talking to a friend that sticks closer than a brother, you need to go to another level. You need to go to another level. At this time of this writing, in the Greco-Roman society, brotherly love was the highest kind of love. 
There wasn't anything greater than brotherly love. But Jesus is trying to move his followers to a love that goes beyond mere brotherhood. A love that goes beyond that things have changed in our relationship so I can choose not to love you. But here's the thing that gets me. It's the third time. Somebody say the third time. The third time, Peter just doesn't respond with, I love you. He responds with, Lord, you know everything. I wish I had some Bible readers. Why is this important? Well, see, because it was thinking that Jesus didn't know everything that got him in trouble in the first place. You forgot Jesus told him it was written. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You need to pay attention. Listen, there is never a time when Jesus speaks that it's not authoritative. Never a time. You can't hide anything from Jesus. He knows even your secret thoughts, so just trust yourself to his care. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with Jesus. Trust yourself to his care. It doesn't matter if you don't understand Jesus. Trust yourself to his care. It doesn't matter if you don't like Jesus. You probably still need to trust yourself to his care. Peter got a restored posture. He got a restored purpose. But the third time, he got a restored passion. He remembers that he's dealing with the one who knows everything. We're talking about Peter, y'all. The one who said, got a word from heaven and said, you are the Christ. <laughs> the only one from God. We're talking about Peter, y'all. The one who when all the, all the followers, the big crowd wanted to leave Jesus because he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He asked the disciples, will you leave me too? And Peter said, who are we going to go to? You the ones with the words to eternal life. We're talking about Peter, y'all. The third time, Peter just didn't get his love posture restored. He just didn't get his purpose restored. He got his passion and trust for the words of God restored. There's something significant about the number three. Some people will tell you the third time's the charm. In baseball, is one, two, three strikes you out. In football, you get three downs before you got a punt. In basketball, you get three seconds in the lane. And listen, if you're trying to have children or adopt, at three kids, your vehicle and house options drastically change. There's something significant about the number three. There were three patriarchs at the, after the flood, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Torah was given on the third month of the Jewish calendar by Moses, who was the third child of his parents. John's gospel was written so that you might believe, and he didn't wait three chapters before telling you you must be born again. In the Bible, there is something significant about the number three. There's the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The angels in heaven continually cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Revelations, Jesus is the one who was, who is, and is to come. Jesus' ministry lasted three years. He fulfilled three offices, the prophet, the priest, and the king. He's the good shepherd, great shepherd, chief shepherd. He had three groups of disciples. 
the 70, the 12, and the 3. And three times he went to Gethsemane to pray. And three times he found his disciples asleep. Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness. His trial came in threes. Pilate, Herod, and the council. There were three on the cross on Golgotha at the ninth hour when Jesus died, which was about 3 p.m. But on the third day, somebody say the third day. He got up with all power in his hand, and watch this, he ascended to the third heaven. <laughs> the third heaven where he sat on the mercy seat to make propitiation for your sins and mine forevermore. There's something significant about the third time. I don't know how many times Jesus has called you to do something. How many times he's convicted you of certain things. But if you just respond one more time, one more time, he can change your posture, he can renew your purpose, and he can give you a newfound passion for the word of God. Well, go with me in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, that you restore our passion. We thank you that you restore our purpose but that only happens when you restore our posture. So help us to restore our posture and see that we're not alone when you're with us, that you come to us to redeem and restore us, and you can change the way we see you and give us a love for you that's divine, that comes from heaven, that's principled and deliberate and cause us to follow you. Help us to do that, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.